Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. I used to be a podcaster too, and then I took an arrow in the knee. I'm Ian Woodworth, and I'm joined by my co-host James Dragonborn Daily. Today, we are going to be going through our second part in our two-parter miniseries here on creating characters with character. Last week, we talked about creating a player character and the ways that you can optimize the roleplay side of character creation and how to build a story for your character. And this week, we are going to be going over the other side. We're going to be talking about NPCs. Uh, This is primarily for Dungeon Master's storytellers, but there are aspects of this, again, that can help you with player character creation as well. There are some pretty key differences between what you need for a player character versus what you need for an NPC. NPC, You need players for a player character. Yes, you do need players for a player character. But from a character building perspective, there's a big difference between what you need for a player character and what you need for an NPC for a non-player character. Oh, absolutely. Like, with a player character, the players are going to be fully fleshed out. I mean, they're going to be there, they're going to be detailed, you're going to know just about anything you want to know about these characters down to, like, their favorite color and what kind of boots they're wearing. An NPC is a good way, I think, when I kind of think of it, is if you look at the last Harry Potter film, Deathly Hallows, the first one, where they do the shadow puppets. Obviously, your player characters are your main characters, but then when they go in and they talk about the history of the three brothers and they do that shadow puppet thing, Another really good version of those shadow puppets was done in uh, Hellboy 2. But again, your characters are largely faceless. They just have a form and a function. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, the way I like to talk about it is the PCs are the stars. The NPCs are the supporting cast. The NPCs aren't necessarily even supporting cast. They can almost even be background sometimes. Very important. Most most NPCs are just extras. And they add a lot to the scene, so don't neglect your NPCs by any stretch. But the amount and the type of work you're going to put into an NPC versus a PC are vastly, vastly different. To borrow an analogy that James likes to make, the difference between a PC and an NPC is the difference between a tall board and a wide board. The PC is going to be your tall board. It's going to be one entity with a lot of story wrapped around it, a lot of personality built into it, a lot of minute aspects to it. Whereas the NPCs, because you have to make so many of them as the dungeon master to flesh out your world, to give your players someone or some ones to talk to, you're not going to... I'm not going to say that you're not going to put as much effort into it. You can. You absolutely can. I wouldn't recommend it because that is a huge amount of time and energy and mental space. If you want to put that kind of time into your NPCs, that's totally up to you. I know on any normal day or year, again, 2020 just being the weird year that it is and was, if you don't have that much time to put into your NPCs, you can definitely cut more than a few corners. Cookie cutter NPCs are very common and very easy to run as well. And that's kind of what we're going to touch on. What are some of your cookie cutter versions, how to make interesting or a notable NPC, but how to do it quick and dirty. Right. There are a lot of NPCs in your game where you can get away with just giving them a name. If you're playing in a game like Dungeons & Dragons where you have multiple race options, give them a race. Give them an apparent gender if you want. You don't have to. And give them a purpose. That's it. This is Bob the Dwarf and he runs this blacksmith shop. 
There it exactly. is. There's your NPC. You don't have to do anything more than that. This is Bob the Dwarf who runs this blacksmith shop. That's it. A great example, if you want to try to find where the NPCs are in a movie, watch the end credits after the first, like, three or four minutes when all the main actors have gone through, and they're still listing character names, and they've got, like, cop three, cop four, boy in the back with a card, girl at flower shop, you know, and they have to, obviously, their cat have to make the credits, but that is their name and character. So, yeah, I mean, NPCs, you can take the time and flesh them out and give them a backstory, and if you're talking about major npcs in your game people that your party is going to be interacting with regularly you want to go ahead and take a little bit of time and flesh them out a bit more than just bob the dwarf who runs the blacksmith shop you're gonna want to know their connections you're gonna want to know some of their personality quirks just little things like that things that are going to come up in social interactions with the party there would be two weird caveats to this I would bring up to like your super simple NPC. And I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of myself or not here. A good example is in the first Avatar, the last Airbender series. When they go to that dock town and they've got the one brother that is the dock master. And then like he jumps up somewhere else and he has a different hat on. And now he's a different brother who's the merchant. And then he jumps up like a third or fourth place with a different hat on. And it's just that one kind of crazier, kooky character. And those are kind of fun to do as a DM from time to time. If you can do the voices or kind of put the thought and make those characters just different enough that it's kind of funny. Those tend to be like some sort of weird enchanter or maybe even like a dragon in human form or something weird like that. Another NPC you probably want to put a little bit more flesh behind is if you plan to have the NPC running into the party more than once. If you want to make a recurring character, you probably want to flesh that NPC out. But that can be something that's done on the fly because those recurring characters tend to happen on their own versus being planned. And I did bring that up. I did bring up recurring NPCs, people that the party would want to interact with multiple times that you had planned for the party to interact with multiple times should have a bit more of their personality fleshed out. And also any recurring villains, especially, you want to make sure that any antagonist to the party has a bit of a personality to it so that they feel like a proper antagonist, that they're not just, oh, it's this guy who is just getting up in our way and trying to thwart our plans and we have to thwart his, you know, give them a reason for the animosity between themselves and this antagonist, this villain. Absolutely. That's the difference between like the first Goomba and Mario Brothers and Koopa. And Bowser. I mean, Bowser, yeah. Well, I don't think he became named Bowser until probably, it was one of the later Mario Brothers, I think, when they finally named him Bowser. So there is a gray area between PC and NPC called the DMPC. That's the Dungeon Master player character. Yeah, you know me. Never mind. Sorry. (laughs) I'll go sit in the corner now. I'm sorry. But the DMPC is one of those things that brings out a lot of controversy in the D&D community, whether or not it's okay to have them. I have done DMPCs before, and in my opinion, they never end well, because I always end up taking advantage of being the person controlling the game and this character, and I always end up doing something to eclipse the party with my DMPC. So I personally don't use them anymore. I've only ever done them once or twice, but I personally don't do them anymore. 
remember last week how we talked about you don't want to make the character that's going to screw over the party? You know, don't make the asshole character. If for some reason you need the asshole character as part of your plotline and you need someone to really kind of completely and thoroughly screw over the party, the DMPC is a good tool for that. Now, granted, you well might piss off the party, but that might be kind of what you're wanting to do as the DM at that exact moment. So, I mean, if you do so, do so very gingerly. But that can be a time you use that tool. If for whatever reason you have people that are sick or for whatever reason can't make and you have a fight planned, you know, you have one of the big evil bad guys planned for that night and you can't delay it anymore for any other reason and you need to give your party just a little extra oomph, that is a way to do it with a DMPC. Like Ian says, it's hard to not use the knowledge of the DM and interact with the player, not eclipse the party. So that is a very difficult task to do. But there are times where the DMPC can be needed and useful as well. My problem wasn't using the knowledge of the DM. Mine was using the power of the DM. Mine was minor adjustments to the story to make my DMPC shine at the expense of what my players at the table were doing. That's why I stopped doing them, because I caught myself doing it the two or three times that I did it, and every single time I caught myself doing it, which is why I stopped. Just full stop, no more DMPCs for me. And that is a great moment of self-awareness from the DM, so good job, Ian, for that. Yeah, if you are going to have a DM character, because as the DM, you basically have all of the other characters anyway, so if you do have a DM character, you're not even in the backseat, you're like hooked up, tied up to the back bumper, being drug around with the party, and that is your role as a character. You are there solely to fill in any gaps that they might need. Like, the party blows a tire, and they don't have a tire on stock. Your DMPC is now the fourth tire to make sure the vehicle still rolls. And that's hard for anybody to do. I mean, that takes a lot of humility. That is really, really hard to manage. Because, again, everybody wants to be the hero. Everybody wants to be the character. And any given DM that you talk to, I mean, they always have the problem, again, as we talked early on, that most of your good DMs don't get to play a whole lot. And now they've got this, they're right there, they're almost playing. So yeah, I I can see where that becomes a really hard issue. And on the rare occasions now, whenever I do have to run a PC for the party, back before the pandemic, I would do one shot games at the library where my wife works, and I would create a batch of characters for this session. I would have four or five PCs, and then I would design my encounter for all of these PCs to take part in. And if I didn't have enough people show up to play all of the characters, I would have to grab the one that was left and run it. But I was always very clear whenever I first started off. It was like, this character is going to make no contributions to decision making they're going to follow along and they're going to act in a way that you guys will hopefully construe as being beneficial to you i'm going to try and help you as much as i can with this character without actually going in and doing a lot of crazy stuff that said it usually ends up being the cleric left over and so i will tell them look he's just going to stand there and he's going to cast buffs and heal spells He's he's not going to attack anything. He's just going to stand there and cast buffs and heal spells. And that's a fair way to do it, particularly with a newer group. So let's talk a little bit more in depth about the anatomy of an NPC. What makes an NPC an NPC as opposed to a player character? You know, aside from the obvious fact that player character is controlled by a player. 
So most of your NPCs are going to be one-dimensional. They have a very specific purpose that they serve, and they stand in to serve just that purpose. You're not going to typically run into your shopkeeper outside of the shop that they're keeping. You're not going to run into your guard outside of the gate that they're guarding. Those sorts of things are very typical for your NPCs. And as I suggested earlier, when it comes to making NPCs, most of the NPCs that you would need for your game, you can make on the fly. It's something that takes a bit of practice to get to a point where you feel comfortable just whipping up a character from scratch whenever the party needs someone to interact with. There are a number of different websites with name generators that you can just go and click a button and get 10 name suggestions and just pick something from the list. One thing that I really like to do is to just make a list of 20 names, 20 male names, 20 female names. If I know that a particular race is going to be prevalent in the next session, I'll whip up a batch of names for that race. And then I just have a list there. And if they come up and say, hey, what's this guy's name? I'll just go over to my list and I'll put a check mark next to a name or two and I'll say, this person's name is such and such. Another really fun thing you can do, and again, it depends on how campy or how serious you want to be at the table. If you want to make the DM super mysterious and all-knowing, then obviously you don't want to do it this way. But a, a fun, silly way, too, is kind of what Ian did, is just get a bunch of names, either and races or names with a race attached, and throw them all in a box. And just label the box in PC Tron 2000 and reach and pull one out. Yeah, you could do that. Another thing, and this is one where you have to have a party who is into role-playing at the table. And not every party is going to be comfortable with this level of role-play. But you come up to a party and someone says, what's this person's name? And you just say, well, you tell me. And you make the player create the NPC. That can be fun, too, particularly if you're pushing the creativity of your players for whatever reason. That's actually not a terrible idea. I've been listening to uh, another podcast called 19 Hits the Dragon, and one of the things that their DM is doing in the game, it's a thing called I Know a Guy, where basically you come up to a point where you need somebody for a specific interaction. You need an NPC for a specific interaction, and you as the PC can say, hey, I know a guy, and then you tell the people at the table who this guy is and so that way the dm doesn't have to take the time of figuring out who this person is and then additionally it gives that npc a tie-in with a player character and so they have a background tie-in to someone at the table it's basically doing double duty that's actually a really good hook and i would love to see that if i was like in a drama group or an improv group or something like that some sort of educational setting a good way to kind of build something up within a group get some creative thinking going that's actually a really solid idea and one of the most important things that i can not stress enough is if you invent npcs at your table write down names and descriptions Keep a notebook and write these things down because your party will want to go back to them at some point. There will be some quirky little interaction that they end up forcing you to go through that will make them remember this nobody NPC that you just created on the fly. And they will want to go back to them. And you have to remember who they are and what they do. If you want NPCs that become alive in your party and moments that become memorable, those are your seeds right there. Those are the moments that can really take off. 
So, I guess this is a point where we go ahead and start into talking about how to build an NPC. As we said last week, just about everything that we talked about last week can be used in building an NPC, but you don't have to go quite that in-depth. Yeah, I mean, we had a questionnaire that had something like 20 questions on it. You don't have to have every single NPC answer 20 questions. You don't even necessarily have to fill out their traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws. Traits and ideals are probably the two aspects that will help you the most with your NPCs. And even then, only ones that you're going to put in the spotlight for a reasonably large amount of time. If it's just somebody who has a couple of throwaway lines, you don't even need to bother with that. Right. So like when Ian and I did our Monster Mash episode back for Halloween, that was one of the things we started up was we had our little town that we built up and we sat there and we said, okay, well, we have a town. So obviously we need a mayor. We were going to need someone running the tavern. We were going to need a merchant. We were going to need a source of information. Obviously it's a farming town. So now we need at least three or four farmers. We needed a priest because there was going to be a chapel of some sort and then a hook or two, you know, to kind of keep the party going or to fill in any gaps. Just to clarify, you said a hook or two, not a hooker two. Although both would be perfectly acceptable answers. Yes, but I do not think we added any hookers to the we did not add, Monster Mash episode this year. We did not add a cat house to our Monster Mash so I think we need to add that for next year's Monster Mash, as we definitely need to add a brothel. We'll call it Tragedy after the song. I don't know that song. There's a song by a group called Misbehaving Maidens called Cat House Tragedy. And it's about a brothel called Tragedy and all of the weird stuff that they have. It's, it's actually, I need to find that song, and that's the best band name ever. <laughs> it is. It just popped up on my Pandora the other day, and it was kind of great. Yeah, so now we've got seven or eight key points that we had to fill with an NPC. Basically, we knew what they were doing, so we knew where they were going. We divided the town basically into two or three different factions. I believe we did two factions for the Monster Mash episode. Yes. So which faction does NPC belong to and why? So we've got a name, we've got their role in the town, we've got a faction they belong to. So how are they going to interact with people within their faction? How are they going to interact with people outside of their faction? So now we've built some super if A then B kind of toggle switches for these characters. You can walk up and flip a switch. And they should give you a little dance one way or the other. And this will flesh out most of your town NPCs. And we spent maybe 10, 15 minutes going through these characters, building them up, building these little one or two bit if-then toggles. Kind of like the little one or two lines I referenced from Skyrim. So any of the NPCs you'd walk up. And the guard was a guard was a guard no matter where you were. And as long as you weren't shooting chickens, they had like two or three things he'd say to you. And then walk off on his merry day until you ran up to him and hit the, the talk button again, and you'd say one of his two or three things. So whenever you're building an NPC, the very first thing that you want to establish is what is their purpose? What is the narrative reason for this character's existence? That's the question that you have to ask yourself. Why does this NPC exist? Because this NPC is a total figment of your story. It exists only because you put it there. Why are you putting it there? Because you don't want to clutter your world with unneeded NPCs because that's just a whole lot of extra stuff to keep track of. Yeah, if you want to bring in like a small library for bookkeeping just for the DM, have a bunch of NPCs. Just take my advice on this one little thing. Keep your NPCs to a minimum because that is the least taxing thing to do. But anyway, once you've established what their purpose is, give them an appearance. What do they look like? What do they sound like? If it's important, what do they smell like? 
Because those three senses will tell you just about everything you need to know about this NPC. I'm just putting this out there. For whatever reason, that black dragon didn't have a taste. I'm a little <laughs> afraid my bard might have the COVID. I think that was one of those things where I wasn't really expecting you to go up and lick the dragon. So I didn't have that prepared. You made me play a bard. Of course I'm going to lick a dragon. Anyway. <laughs> moving on. So those are the things that you need for a basic NPC. What is their purpose? And what do they look like? And what do they sound like? So it can be as simple as you have a blacksmith who is your stereotypical gruff dwarf. And he uses very terse language. Most of his answers are, yep, nope, uh uh-huh. So you've got the dwarf who's terse. He's only got two or three answers. But even though he's a blacksmith, maybe he smells like lavender. Because for whatever reason, this dwarf is married to an elf. He loves her. And so he uses lavender soap. And so it would be one of those kind of things that... Again, it's a quick, simple scent. It gives a secondary who is he with a small bond, but you don't have to go into a bunch of details. And it's something like that that kind of comes off the wall or out of left field. It's going to be one of those things that your party is going to remember. It's, uh, oh, the dwarf, he smelled good for his wife. Done. And you don't have to go that far if you don't want to. That is definitely going to be something that the party is going to investigate further, that they are going to ask questions about and delve into because they're going to want to know, well, why does he smell like flowers? He's this sweaty, grungy dwarf working this forge. Why does he smell like flowers? Or they might not, you know, they might be completely indifferent about it, but odds are given my experience with my players, they're going to investigate that. And you better be prepared to make this dwarf a recurring character because they're going to come back to him. Right. But even with that, now we've developed fairly recurring character. And like I said, that last little bit that gave that NPC a hook, which is now a lot more than just basically a shadow. And it's something off the cuff that you can throw there. Or you can just have the gruff dwarf that grunts and smashes, you know, and that's all he does. If you want to make a slightly more robust NPC, it's not difficult at all. You don't have to put a lot of thought in that character at all. Right. And that gets into the additional steps that we put onto this. So this lavender scent that we're throwing onto this dwarf would play into adding connections to your NPC. Who are their allies? Who are their enemies? Who are their family? This elf that he's apparently married to would fall under the family. So he's using the soap because of his connection with her. And that's why you have a dwarf blacksmith that smells like lavender. But it could be something as simple as they're a member of the blacksmith's guild. And so they have their insignia showing their membership of the guild very prominently displayed in their shop or on a necklace or on a ring that they wear. Or they might be very conspicuous in the fact that they're operating in the city and they don't have any sort of guild insignia going on. And so the shop looks a little bit run down because they're not benefiting from the protection or the services of the guild. And maybe they had some sort of run-in with the people who run the guild and they got kicked out or they chose to leave or what have you. And so now you have somebody operating in the city outside of the purview of the guild and that can lead you into a whole extra rabbit hole of well then 
they might be able to get hold of things that the guild wouldn't want you to get a hold of. They might be able to provide services that the guild wouldn't want you to have or that the guild would charge a whole lot extra for. And that is one thing we probably want to discuss in a further episode is actual like city planning or location planning. But this is a way to do it too, is if you have a city or a town or whatever your location and you want to build in some side quests to either kind of help the party, again, fill in some time, get some extra XP or something like that. These NPCs are your great little quest starters to kind of run a bunch of extra little quests through. And it's a wonderful way to sprinkle in some breadcrumbs. And if the party goes after them, then you know what aspects of your city to continue to flesh out and what aspects you can leave for later. Because if they don't follow this, if you mention that he doesn't have any guild insignias anywhere, and they're like, oh, that's nice, and just completely ignore it, then you don't have to worry about what his relationship with the guild happens to be. But if they do, then you can start to flesh that out a little bit, and then you can have an NPC that they have a connection to that doesn't have a connection to the guild for whatever reason if they need a workaround to get around some sort of guild machination later on in the game. Absolutely. That covers connections. The next one is motivation. What do they do and why? It can be as simple as, I run this shop because my father owned this shop before me, and his father before him, and his father before him, And it's the family business, and this is just what we do. We run this shop. This is a town. People need to shop. I have a shop. And that's their NPC other than that's 25 gold. Right. But it can be super complex as well. You can throw as much or as little effort into this as you want. Going back to our blacksmith that we've been talking about, his motivation for leaving the guild, maybe he got caught trying to sell some counterfeit merchandise. I'd go as far as to say he got caught selling dwarven wares to non-dwarves. That might also have some tie-in with his wife as well. And then you could tie all the stories in real nicely together. Or it could just be as simple as he married an elf. And if this is a dwarven blacksmith's guild, they might be the dwarf's only club. And because this blacksmith decided to marry an elf he's no longer considered welcome in the club. And that can give you an in to tie in race relations in your world, which adds a whole extra level of dynamism, you know, a whole extra level of reality to it, just giving you more of that lived-in feel to your world. You can also have, is this a central village? Maybe this is an awful dwarven city versus a city on the outskirts of the Dwarven Range versus it it used to be in a Dwarven Range and then over time maybe it shifted and people are moving in and they just don't like it. So what are the neighboring cities going to be like? Maybe that's why this dwarf was a little more welcoming to outsiders versus the other people in the town. And so how are the rest of the town going to react to non-dwarves versus elves versus humans versus whatever? And it could be that the town is something like Dale from The Hobbit, where it is a human town at the base of the Lonely Mountain, which is a dwarven kingdom. And then a dragon comes in and eats all the dwarves and takes over the mountain. And so this particular dwarf with a group of other dwarves has just settled in the nearby city and is just making their living as best they can. It could be something like that. 
Again, these NPCs, they can go a long way to helping you shape your story. I mean, we've created these stories around these little NPCs at this point, and these are still really super basic NPCs. So NPCs themselves, you can kind of drop them in, or you can start crafting the story and the location around the NPCs. It really works in both directions very easily. So NPCs are important. Don't neglect your NPCs by any stretch, but don't break yourself trying to make them too. Let them be free-flowing. Let them be a flow of thought type thing, and your story will become more natural for it. That is an excellent point. There is no wrong way to make an NPC. As long as the NPC has a purpose, you're golden. You know, everything else is just gravy on the top. Super tempted to try to make an NPC that has absolutely zero purpose. I want an NPC chewing on a piece of straw in the middle of a highway, and that's all they do. Well, I mean, even then, they have a purpose. Their purpose is to... to Entertain be, the DM. <laughs> is, is to be absurd, you know? Their purpose is to exist for the gratification of the DM. But you can end up, if you're not careful, making NPCs that contradict certain aspects of your world so you do need to keep in mind what you've done so far and make sure that any npcs that you create fall within the framework that you've created already or fall completely outside of that framework so that you can build off of them and try and tie them in later you don't have to tie in every single one of your npcs when you create them and it's going to be really difficult for you as a DM or a storyteller, to keep track of all of these characters if you do take the time and tie everything in. Because then you have to keep track of all of the different threads and how they tie back into the whole story. Whereas if you just create this NPC and just make sure that it doesn't violate a few very basic rules for your world, you end up having all of these little snippets and if they just fall through and are never revisited, you've lost nothing. But anyway, before I get completely sidetracked, the third and final thing that I like to visit whenever I'm putting a lot of effort into an NPC is secrets. Secrets are a wonderful thing to do. What secrets does this NPC have? They can be affiliations, they can be ideals, they can be stashes, they can be material, etc., etc., you can do any sort of secret that you want. It can be as simple as this guy is trying to sleep with that guy's wife. That can be your secret. And then you can keep that in mind for later on in an instance where this guy and that guy interact with one another. And then that guy's wife shows up, you know. Now, see, I've never actually gone that far with my NPCs. As close to a secret as I've ever had my NPCs have is generally if I have a shop owner or a tavern owner, it's a coin flip whether or not the murder hobo party is going to wind up trying to rob said facility. So there may or may not be a lockbox or something like that stashed away somewhere. That's about as far as I've ever gone with a secret with an NPC personally. Again, not a bad idea, particularly if you want to build story in through your NPCs. I want to emphasize here that this is for NPCs that are going to be recurring. This is for NPCs that you are intentionally spending extra time on because you know that the party is going to interact with them more. Note to self, further interrogate Ian's NPCs on future campaigns. Got it. <laughs> but so you can have them, they're secretly members of an underground resistance movement. They're secretly really racist against one of the 
races for one of your PCs. And so they're not going to come out and say it in front of everybody. But if just that character happens to be in his shop by themselves, the interaction between that character and the NPC will end up being very different as opposed to if that player is there with more than one other character. Gotcha. That reminds me the Divinity series. So way back in the mid-90s, maybe late 90s, when the first of the Divinity series, Beyond Divinity, came out. And in the first little town you were in, one of the NPCs tended to hover around one of the mages, like little herbalist gardens for whatever reason. And it took several quests of going through, but you actually found out that some of the secret, quote, quote, you know, magical herbs were also addictive. And this one NPC had an addiction to this herb that one of the mages was using for regular research, which led to him trying to get it from a shop owner. And the shop owner had an issue. The shop owner winds up getting knocked off. And then there's this other NPC that came in that was a supplier. So it was a secret that this NPC had that he was, in fact, addicted to this herb that could be addicted. So, I mean, it wasn't even common knowledge that this herb itself was a narcotic or was a controlled substance. And then that led through a whole chain of different things that two or three different NPCs had tie-ins to throughout the game and very story. So again, that was a similar link that actually wound up being a nice touch. Those are the sorts of things that I like to do for prominent named NPCs, especially for villains. Every villain should have at least one secret. Absolutely. Even if that secret is I'm a villain. Because villains rarely work in a vacuum, and they're going to have a motivation. So don't make villains who are evil just for the sake of being evil. Give them a reason why they're evil. The best villains don't think that they're evil. The best villains think that they're doing the right thing. Oh, absolutely. The ends always justify the means. I still think one of my favorite D&D genre villains of all time was referring back to the Order of the Stick comic. I can't remember her name, the paladin who ends up falling and losing her paladin powers because she keeps just dogging the party on the assumption that they are doing something wrong whenever they are actually not. And she ends up just keeping on at it and at it and at it until she ends up breaking her oath and losing her paladin powers. Right. I forget that character name too, but I know I know who you're talking about. And that was actually a really good storyline. Yeah, that was an excellent story arc. That is a good example of a character who thinks they're doing the right thing and who ignores other people telling them to stop doing it because they think that they're right and they refuse to listen to other people who tell them that they're wrong, even if they are wrong. Zealotry is a very powerful villain creator. Another great example of that zealotry creating a villain, if you look back into Warcraft 3 in the original World of Warcraft, Arthas, his storyline, you know, with the plague and the whole calling of Strathmore before he finds Frostmourne and all of that, he thought he was doing the right thing. He was going to stop this town from dying from the plague and coming back as zombies. So he killed them all before they could be killed by the plague. That was his first horribly evil act, but he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was saving his kingdom. At a terrible cost, but he thought the cost was worth it. All right, so that brings us to the end of our guidelines, more or less. So I was thinking we could go ahead and build an NPC. I mean, I realized that through our examples, we kind of sort of built Bob the dwarf blacksmith with an elf wife who isn't a member of the blacksmith's guild. But I kind of want to just take a minute and just build one out, start to finish, 
just see who we can come up with. All right, let's do this. You had mentioned a while back wanting to make a dog catcher. Yeah, I think just a basic dog catcher running through town. I think that might be an NPC you come across on a given day. Okay. And so that gives us our purpose. What is this person's purpose? They are the dog catcher. So what's their appearance? Uh, Let's make them a halfling. Okay. Make them a halfling. Halfling dog catcher. Okay. Male halfling, I'd say of middle age. So they'll have some sort of history behind them. So, you know, a little scraggly, but not. they're obviously not wearing finery because they're a dog catcher. So they're not on the high, high end of society. But they've got some good sturdy clothes so they don't get shredded by the dogs. Maybe a little bit of like super light leather armor, maybe some bracers or something so they don't get bit and injured by said dogs as they are doing their dog catching. I see that their clothing is fairly heavily patched. Yes. I would see them as the sort of person who would sew patches onto their clothes as opposed to throwing them away and getting new. And that is one of those things. It's a little detail, but it tells you a lot about the character. Absolutely. This is going to be a very practical soul. Yeah, this is going to be a very practical person. They're going to be a very frugal person. So they're going to be utilizing what they've got until they can't anymore. They're not necessarily going to be someone with a whole lot of means. Because if they could afford to just replace the clothes, they probably would. But yeah, so those are all things that you can go into. Are there any distinguishing physical features to this halfling? You know, any scars, anything missing, any, you know, weird hairdo? No, I mean, like I said, he's just, he's a middle-aged. He's fairly stout. Can look a little rumpled, but that's about it. Because that's just the aspect of his job. I'm kind of seeing sort of like a, a widow's peak. Slowly receding hairline with kind of greasy hair. Reasonable. Because what he does all day, every day, is crawl into spaces to get dogs. It's not exactly a very sanitary job. He does his best to stay hygienic, I would say. But he doesn't really do a whole lot to maintain his appearance. No, I mean, he's going to be going through a lot of tunnels and back alleys to get to places if he needs to. Again, he's a practical person, so if you got to get dirty to get the job done, you're getting dirty to get the job done. So his motivation, why is he a dog catcher? Because the city pays him to be a dog catcher, and he's actually fairly good with animals. That's why I'm saying he doesn't have a lot of scars or stuff, because he can generally befriend or coerce most of the animals out. Okay, so this is going to be one of those things where I'm going to backpedal just a little bit. What if, instead of being a halfling, he's a gnome? Because gnomes get the ability to speak with animals as a racial ability. Okay, I could see that. Gnomes tend to be a little bit smaller, but okay. I mean, they're about the same size. If anything, halflings are a bit more delicate, a little more fine-featured than gnomes are. Gnomes tend to be a little more stocky than halflings. Halflings tend to be immune to fear as well. We can go either way on this one. We can coin flip. I'm just throwing this out there. This could be an instance where you could go either way and have mechanical aspects of the character play into the personality. Okay, yeah, let's go ahead and work with that then. Go ahead and go Gnomish and we'll get him to speak with animals as well. And that's why he does what he does is he's able to speak with animals. He's able to communicate with dogs and calm them down and get them in. It doesn't always work. No. As much as a bouncer can communicate with a person and get them to peacefully leave, he can communicate with animals and get them to peacefully come out so he can relocate them or get them to a safe spot or a contained area. And he may even, because of the way the Speak With Animals works, he may be that one dog catcher who is known in the city as being the guy who brings the dogs back. The guy who is able to reunite dogs with their owners. 
Oh, yeah. And like I said, he's good at what he does, and he's very practical about what he does. He's not rich. If he's the dog whisperer, he's not a Caesar Milan where he's got a million-dollar TV show. He's just out there doing his day-to-day stuff. And playing into that, I almost see this going into further motivation. I almost see him as being sort of a dog hoarder. I see him as being the guy who fosters all of the dogs that he catches that come from abusive owners that ran away because he seems like the kind of kind soul who would do that. And especially, especially if he's able to speak with the animals and understand from the animal that they have suffered this abuse. I see him as being the sort of person to sympathize with that and adopt them. And so he's got a house that's probably too small for the number of animals that he has in it. And he's got like 40 dogs. And that's why he doesn't have any money is because he's feeding 40 dogs. I'm trying to think, what was the uh, Rob Schneider movie where he did that? Was it Deuce Bigelow with all the pets and everybody he had? I think it was the second Deuce Bigelow where he had a bunch of the aquarium stuff. And like it shows him he has a thing of like fresh bottled water and he goes to the sink and he, he pours this glass and it's this murky, nasty tap. And he's giving the fish the fresh water and he's drinking the nasty tap so they don't have to type thing. So that's his motivation for why he does what he does is because he just genuinely loves dogs. Animals in general, but definitely dogs. Okay, so connections. Who are his allies, enemies, and or family? I'd say his allies are anyone who needs help. Maybe he has like a friend or two in the city, but he doesn't really have anything in the way of like a big connection. His family is maybe he's distant from his family. Maybe he's moved. Yeah, I, I don't see him as being the sort of person who would have... He certainly wouldn't have family living with him, I don't think. Right. The sort of people who have 40 dogs in their house don't typically share the house with another person. It's usually sharing the house with 40 dogs. Generally, yeah. I would say for his enemy, I'd say that there's a noble either in that town or nearby that maybe they do dog fighting or something like that. Or they could just be like a war kennel master type thing that generally treats the dogs unwell. Okay. And the reason that he's an enemy is because he's had dogs that have escaped and this dog catcher has taken them in has captured them and is keeping them at his house and is refusing to return them right but this is a noble so these are expensive dogs like i said these are either like fighting dogs either for military or for sport i would say if we're going with this being a noble i would say that these are probably hunting dogs they could be hunting dogs but i was thinking of like a person that raises dogs for like dog fighting kind of like the whole michael vick thing so these dogs are expensive because they're how he makes his money well see most of your nobles aren't going to be involved in actual enterprises that make money most of your nobles just have money it's tied up in estates. It's tied up. Depending on what their, their hobbies or their entertainment are, if they enjoy it because they enjoy it, you know, it'd be like your bear pit fighting and stuff like that. Something like Game of Thrones or okay. things like that. Okay. But either yeah. way. Yeah, I can see that. It's just I'm almost seeing this as being more of a merchant class sort of person than a noble. Um, okay, that works too then. Because a noble would have the clout to just take them back. You know, he would just send the guards in and take them back. Um, Okay, yeah, so merchant class works better then. That's what I'm feeling here. And then uh, secrets. So what secrets does this guy have? He is digging a tunnel into this merchant's kennel area where he's going to set loose all the animals at once. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Very Shawshank sort of deal. A a reverse Shawshank, if you will, where he's he's digging into the prison. 
that'll also play a bit into him being a gnome because gnomes are very comfortable underground. You usually associate underground with dwarves. Underground with dwarves in the mountains, according to lore, works. But gnomes also enjoy being in the dirt. They do a fair bit of tunneling, yes. Yeah, that is a thing that would play in tying in the racial proclivities back into the character. So what are we calling him? Fred. Fred. Fred the dog Fred. catcher. Fred the dog catcher. Okay. <laughs> Girl with clipboard five. All right. So yeah, so I mean, there we've quickly fleshed out a quick little NPC for your city. You've got Fred the dog catcher. Feel free to drop him in. Now, if you choose to drop in or I as an NPC for one of your stories, I just want to put it out. I am at least a 12th level bard and or wizard. You are at least a 7th level warlock, sir. That too. But the problem is I don't think either one of us have 19 character levels. So, Probably not. So I think that'll pretty much wrap it up for today. Um, I apologize if we got a bit rambly and tangential today. NPCs do tend to be nebulous, just their concept, because they can be anything and everything, because they have to be anything and everything. Right. And it can be as simple as your NPC could be a potted plant. The gazebo, the infamous gazebo from the gazebo story, goes from being a plot item, you know, not even a plot item, it goes from being a piece of architecture in the scenery into an NPC because of the way that the characters interact with it. Right, so anything and everything is potentially an NPC. Right, so you, like James said, it's very nebulous at times what exactly constitutes an NPC and exactly what you have to do in order to piece everything together. But I think what we managed to suss out today is a pretty good, pretty generic guidelines to make a fairly well-fleshed-out NPC. Absolutely. If you want some good NPC practice throughout the week, just randomly stop. And whenever you have a moment, there's a red light or you have a hiccup or, you know, there's that quick moment. Just close your eyes and the first thing you open up, look, oh, look, there's an NPC. Because, I mean, that's kind of how they happen in-game more often than not. You pull up at a red light and you look over at the person driving the car that pulled up next to you. Make that person an NPC. Who are they? What are they there for? What are they doing? Person in car two. So, yeah, thank you, everybody, for joining us today. This is our first episode of the new year. So thank you for joining us as we've gotten to this point. For another year, we are looking forward to continuing on this year and doing bigger and better things. So thank you for sticking with us so far, and hopefully we will be able to reward you in the near future. Yeah, we've got some big plans coming up. We do have our showcase coming up. We are still knocking off a bit of the rough edges, trying to get everybody coordinated with that. But that is definitely something that's coming. Our Twitter is at UCT Homebrew. You can find us at Undercommon Taste on Facebook and Instagram. Starting at the first of the year, I started doing RPG scenario prompts on our Twitter account. My parents got me a Shakespearean insults page a day calendar. And as a sort of incentive to actually use my page a day calendar, because I don't typically do page a day calendars, as an incentive to myself to do it, I've started posting the insult of the day and then a short RP prompt inspired by the insult that I have gotten for that day. Weekends are two for one on the page, so you're not getting anything on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday you'll be getting a new prompt every single day, so go ahead and follow us on Twitter so you can catch all of those. Um, if you have a 
story that you want to share with us that comes off of one of those prompts, go ahead and post a reply. Send us a DM or drop us an email, undercommontaste at gmail.com. Let us know what it is. We would love to hear what you guys are coming up with off of this. Absolutely. The scenarios Ian's come up with have been really fun so far. Also, you can find our podcasts wherever you find podcasts. We're a bit everywhere now. Feel free to uh, subscribe and comment. Thank you again for listening. And uh, here's to the new year. Here's to the new year. Thank you for joining us for the Undercommon Taste podcast. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to your friends. You can find our past episodes hosted on Podbean and available through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. New episodes go live on Wednesdays, and the write-ups for our homebrewed content are published on Fridays. Join us on Facebook or Instagram at Undercommon Taste, or on Twitter under the handle at UCT Homebrew. Links to all of our content can be found on these platforms. If you have comments, corrections, suggestions, or ideas, please send them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. Our theme music is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Again, thank you for listening and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.